Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Uncommon Ground with Van Jones ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. The question I would ask your listeners is, what society do we want to build and how can our justice system help us do that? Because right Mm. now, when we talk about Mm. justice, we talk about prisons and our prison and policing system do not help us to build the society that I believe most of your listeners want. Is this America, the land of the free and the home of the brave? Wake up, America, wake up! The political division in the country undeniably deep right now. The big question on a lot of people's minds, can Americans come together and heal? I'm Van Jones, and this is Uncommon Ground. Welcome back to Uncommon Ground. Uh, This is a podcast where we are really trying to figure out how we can come together and solve tough problems in such a polarized country. Now, this episode's special to me because I want to acknowledge something. We talk about Uncommon Ground and reaching across the aisle and all that kind of stuff. And it's as if we all get along in our own camp, in our own community, that there's no divisions, that there's no differences. There's nothing happening within the circle of agreement. But the reality is I've been having as much problem with my progressive friends as I have with my conservative friends. And I think a lot of people are in a situation where it's the people they should be agreeing with where there's a real challenge. And so it's kind of ironic, but in this episode, I'm struggling with something. How do we find common ground when the goals are actually the same? But maybe the means of achieving the goals are different or the underlying rationale is different or there's differences in phraseology and words. Or maybe we agree on some things, but disagree on other things. It it sometimes can be frustrating uh, in our personal lives, but I think it's important to acknowledge. I think it's happening on a much bigger scale is this conflict within communities, within political parties. And that's why I was really interested in having an open conversation about some of this discord with someone I greatly respect, Philip Agnew. He is just an extraordinary activist. He founded an organization in 2012 called Dream Defenders after the death of Trayvon Martin to organize on campuses and and communities. He's a big reason that, that Trayvon Martin became a household name. You know, he's an educator, he's a strategist, he's a speaker, he's an artist. He even served as a senior advisor to Bernie Sanders during uh, his presidential campaign. And then recently in 2020, he started a new organization called Black Men Build. And that's a place for black men to get together as an organized force to better themselves, improve themselves, improve our communities. Throughout all of his work, Philip has thought so deeply about just the unique roots of, of policing, the penal system, the carceral system, I call it the punishment industry and the way that all those systems are tied back into racism, et cetera. And Philip and I actually see eye to eye on a lot of things. You know, we we both are big opponents of the prison system. Uh, But we also kind of approach this stuff differently. Uh, You know, I'm willing, very willing, as a Democrat, to work hand in hand with Republicans, conservatives, libertarians. Philip wants the same outcomes, but he sees that kind of stuff as very dangerous. And so I wanted us to sit down and have a conversation as two guys committed to similar stuff, but who just approach this stuff differently. And as we get into this conversation, I hope you'll pay attention to a couple of things. Number one, we talk about this idea of prison abolition, abolishing prisons, which Philip has signed on to, but in a very particular way, in a very nuanced way, uh, he also talks about the whole defund the police conversation, which is pretty controversial. And uh, we we see things slightly differently on that. But I I love the way that he approaches it. And then lastly, you know, he is so close to African-American men on the ground at the grassroots level. And he's starting to see some trends of black men moving in a more conservative direction, maybe in a more right-wing direction. And I think you're going to be very fascinated by the way that he approaches that developing phenomenon as well. 
It's an uncommon, uncommon ground conversation, and you're going to hear it right after this break. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Brother Philip Agnew, it's so good to have you on the podcast. I, I have just admired you for so long and, and the great work that you've done. Do us a favor and just introduce yourself uh, to the Uncommon Ground audience, and then we'll get talking. I appreciate being on. My name is Philip Agnew. I'm the son of a preacher and a teacher, and we grew up in Chicago, Illinois, in a neighborhood called West Inglewood. I'm the oldest of four boys, mm -hmm. and we grew up poor and religious. Those are two things mm -hmm. that kind of frame my worldview from a very young age, not having what everybody else had and uh, going to church an awful lot. I like to say we went to church eight days a week, 25 hours a day. And now I'm not, <laughs> I'm not so much a church going person, but I got some rollover mm -hmm. minutes. I definitely got some credit up there. And my father and yeah. my mother kept us in church and kept us in music mm -hmm. as well from a very young age. And so mm -hmm. I graduated from high school in Chicago, Whitney Young uh, Magnet High School, and wound up going to Florida A&M University. And it was at Florida A&M University that I got my first taste of activism and organizing after mm -hmm. the murder of a young man named Martin Lee Anderson. Mm -hmm. He was 14 years old. He was murdered in a boot camp in Bay County, Florida. And this was just my first opportunity, my first foray into activism and organizing, and it blew my mind. It, it gave me the opportunity to combine the anger and the animosity and the insecurities that I had developed growing up poor in Chicago with some of the empowerment and the excellence and the history of Black activism and organizing that I was learning about at Florida A&M University. And it was kind of at that nexus that I found my purpose in 2005, mm -hmm. 2006. And really, except for a slight detour where I went into corporate America because that's what I, I was a business student. Mm -hmm. That's been the, you know, my adult life, organizing and activism, trying to in many ways impress and live up to the historical figures that I looked up to when I was younger, the Panthers and, and mm -hmm. the Kings and the Exes and the Parks and those people. You know, for me, I admire you so much because you've been so consistent. You have evolved in terms of the tools and, and, and that kind of thing and the organizations that you've been able to build, but you really kept your focus on black freedom. Mm -hmm. How do you assess where we are in terms of the movement for black freedom? How do you situate Black Lives Matter and all of that? You know, I have been pretty focused and tried to remain consistent. For me, the freedom of black people is a big American question. You know, can those two mm -hmm. things coexist? 
can the United States of America as we know it coexist with true Black freedom? And I think more and more and more and more, the question that seems to be that these things are untenable together. And, and, mm-hmm. and it's unfortunate, but when you ask where we are today, when you look at quote unquote Black freedom, I could go into the what is what is freedom, what is Black freedom, all of those things. But if we want to just talk economically, economic freedom, mm-hmm. the COVID crisis eviscerated once again, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of dollars of wealth for Black people. This is a second huge hit after 2008. In 2008, you mean when the financial crisis yes. hit and it, it wiped Black folks? I think a lot of people don't even understand why that crisis was so bad for us, because Black folks in general, if we have any wealth, it's in our homes. Yes. We're not big stock market people. Until recently, we're not big cryptocurrency people. <laughs> Even when a, when a brother you know gets a contract, you know I'm going to the NBA. First thing, I'm gonna buy my mama a I house. Buy my mama a house. He does, yes. Yes, I'm gonna buy my mama some stocks and bonds yes. in Google. Yes. He says I'm gonna buy my mama a house. Yes. And so we had so much wealth in our houses. So when that got wiped out, we got hurt very badly. Yeah, we believed in that American narrative. You know, you buy a house, and that that's how you build up your wealth. You know, we're very risk averse people. When you don't have a lot, mm-hmm. you're risk averse. And then if you look at political freedom, political, which is, I think, a big part of my personal definition of what is freedom for Black people, you look at our ability to actually govern and to not only win office, but be able to move forward with uh, some sort of Black consciousness political program, the, the prospects are still dim. We see Black elected officials all over the country. You talked about me being consistent about Black freedom. I think inherent in that is my indictment of Black and the Black misleadership class as well. Now, let's talk about that, because you said uh, even when we're able to elect black officials, there's not a black consciousness agenda. What would that look like? And then let's let's talk about some of the criticism. Yeah. So so to me, a, a black conscious and I, when I talk about a radical black, I think a lot of people get scared, radical and black. But the radical black tradition that I come from, that I love, that I'm enamored by, that I hope to follow in those footsteps, actually put forward a political program that uplifted everybody. Right. That said that this country, when it ever was at its best, put forward a vision where a rising tide could raise all ships, universal educational systems. When black people were free from slavery, we didn't just fight for education for ourselves. We wanted universal education. One of the first things that black medical associations did in this country is put forward a program of universal health care. Our leadership within unions and our fighting within unions wanted to uplift the wages and the the workplace conditions of all people. And so when I look at a black consciousness, I'm not looking for a consciousness that reinforces dog eat dog, that reinforces mm-hmm. the notion that when I have more, you must get less. If I win, you must lose. It's a collective vision of society. And so that's what I'm talking about, a black consciousness project. It doesn't just say, I want all black all day, just me and leave everybody behind because it's my belief that that is a white supremacist consciousness, right? Um, that it is a Western American consciousness that says that there's only so much for a few of us. And so we got to get all that we can and damned if the rest of you, God bless America and forget everybody else, right? But a black consciousness actually is one that I think we all could rally behind. And so when I say that black politicians and elected officials You can look to Harold Washington in Chicago or even Jesse Jackson's political program. We have very few of those black elected officials, except for your Jabal moments, et cetera, who are able to get into office, run a city, run a town and govern in the same way that they ran for office. And so when you talk about Mm -hmm. black political freedom, the freedom to express ourselves fully with a black consciousness in politics, we still are not free. And so this long kind of diatribe is going back to your answer. Do I think that black freedom is had that we have it? No, I do not. I think it's a constant fight. And I don't think many people in this country are very, very free, save for the, you know, the few folks that can get into office, do what they want, that can take money and move it around wherever they want, can buy homes and buy land and property whenever they want, enjoy clean air, clean water, best schools whenever they want. That's freedom. And when you talk to most black people, even if they experience it, they're the exception, damn, they're not the rule. What do you make of a criminal justice system that's the biggest in the world, times two, United States with only 300 million people, we lock up more people than China and Russia combined, and disproportionately black, brown, overwhelmingly poor. What's the relationship between the black freedom agenda and this incarceration industry that's grown up in the United States? 
Well, the incarceration industry has grown up as the U.S. has grown up, right? It is a twin brother to the United States. As the United States grows, its, its carceral system must grow. And what I mean by that, and I know many of your listeners have heard this before, but I think it's just always important to lay down the context. The carceral policing and prison systems emanate from the slave system. Right. These are objective facts and, and can be researched and looked up independently. The management of black folks to remain on the plantation, to behave on the plantation was a key foundation of our carceral and policing system. The slave codes, the slave patrols, the returning of black people to plantations, no matter if they were considered a slave or not. Obviously, none of them were slaves, but where they were considered a slave or not, that was a part of the carceral system, right? And so when we see a current system that is incredibly, incredibly, I mean, the, the numbers will shock anyone. More Black people under supervision than were slaves at the height of slavery. You have to ask the question, what about race and what about class still necessitates this type of carceral system? And for me, I think in the United States, we have entered a place of late stage capitalism. There isn't enough work for all the people that live here. There is still rampant racism and a belief that black people are inherently criminal. And so you've got to do something with all of those bodies. And in the 70s and 80s, we decided that we would warehouse those people in prisons. We don't have to see them. We don't have to acknowledge them. We can still make money from them hundreds of millions of dollars in contracts, hundreds of millions of dollars are moved when Black people are living in rural America incarcerated. That money still goes there when the census is done. And so when we talk about Black people always being the question in the United States, poor people always being the question in the United States, I think prisons are an important piece of hiding away that question and running away from it once again. Let's talk about what we could do to make a difference. There's a movement that's calling for the abolition of prisons. Mm -hmm. Do you consider yourself a prison abolitionist or no? I consider myself a prison abolitionist as prisons are constructed right now. Yes. Mm -hmm. Personally, you know, I don't consider myself a prison abolitionist. I need some prisons. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there are some people who are really terrible and they're just awful and there's nothing you can do with them. And so when I think about people like that, when I think about, say, you know, Dick Cheney, uh, you know, <laughs> when, <Yes. laughs> okay, yes. you know, a massive war cr criminal, in my view. Uh, some of my Republican friends may see it differently, but I, I, I still see him as a massive war criminal. When I think about the Unite the Right rally, where white racists showed up and drove a car into a crowd and, and killed Heather Heyer, uh, when I think about some of these cops that not only kill, but plant drugs on people, you know, take people's lives and liberty. I don't have a great deal of confidence in my ability to have justice in America if I'm just going to let the Nazis organize and ask them to stop. Mm -hmm. Like I, I feel like I feel like there is a need in society for some prisons. Now, maybe we should have 80 percent fewer. I definitely think the class and race composition of prisons needs to be questioned because there's way more criminals on Wall Street than in the housing project. I could guarantee you mm -hmm. that, but very few people from Wall Street go to prison, mm -hmm. and a lot of people from housing go to prison. So it's a it's an interesting conversation when I talk to the young people, and they, I said, what, "What do you want? They say they want to abolish all the prisons, they want to defund the police, and they want to put all the bad cops in prison." I said, "Well, hold on Wait, a second. that third one, <laughs> which of these doesn't belong? <laughs> which of these? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so I wonder sometimes, you know, is it really abolition that we're talking about? Is that a provocative term to start the conversation? Or how serious are people? How do you see the conversation about abolition, and how do you relate to that term? Uh, I love this question." And you, you recognize when I answered the question, I said, I'm against the prison system as it's currently constructed. And I think it is my hope that your listeners um, will be able to understand and maybe even empathize with one part of my point of view. And then I think maybe we'll disagree with the second part, but I'll, I'll get into it and I won't assume <laughs> anything. So first off, I do agree with uh, some of what you said. I am an abolitionist because I don't believe you abolish a person. You abolish a system. And so when I say that I'm a prison abolitionist, I think that our system of policing is inherently racist. 
is inherently against people who don't have the resources to navigate the legal system in a fair and respectful way. I do believe that our current prison system is also one of the most inhumane things you can do to people. And I think the question I would ask your listeners is, what society do we want to build and how can our justice system help us do that? Because right Mm. now, when we talk about Mm. justice, we talk about prisons and our prison and policing system do not help us to build the society that I believe most of your listeners want, a fair one, a just one, one where someone has accountability for what they did wrong. And, you know, I don't think now we're getting into semantics, but accountability for them falling afoul of the law, because it's not always wrong. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I don't think any of us signed up for this thing that should happen to you is that you should be treated as an animal for 40 to 50 years. What does that say about us as a society? And so what I'll say is our current policing justice and prison systems are are inhumane and unjust. And it is that system that I want to do away with. I believe that we, as in the conversation of doing away, there must be some conversation about what do we want to see. And what I would prefer to see is a policing system and a justice system and a prison system that is under the control of the people. Right now, it's not. It's under the control of the wealthy. And that prioritizes the safety, the rehabilitation, and the humanity of all people. And that is fair. And that is not all about punitive measures. And I think the U.S., if you believe it to be an innovative country, can innovate in a a number of ways. When you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so right right now we're using policing, incarceration, Mm -hmm. and a really broken justice system to provide us with justice and safety. And they've consistently failed us at that. And we should look into other things and and what, what, what other alternatives are available to us. Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. With SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5, this foundation not only provides medium coverage and a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at amazon.com slash instant eraser foundation. On the Nintendo Switch system, there's so many worlds you can explore. Like Hyrule, where I can fight enemies and save the kingdom with Link. That sounds adventurous. Or my very own island in Animal Crossing New Horizons, where I can fish whenever I want. the size of that thing you can find even more worlds to explore on the nintendo switch system games rated e to e10 plus games and systems sold separately you know i work with liberals and conservatives on criminal yes justice. i know uh and so you may have noticed yeah, yeah, yeah I, think <laughs> so, I think i've seen a few yeah. articles and we wound up you know through the dream Corps and the cut 50 campaign and others passing you know 22 bipartisan criminal justice bills wound up uh even getting donald trump to sign a, the First Step Act, handed me the pen in the Oval Office after he did it, and now the federal prison system is smaller than it's been in, in two generations. They may have to close some federal mm-hmm. prisons. Some people thought that was shocking that a black progressive would reach out and shake hands with a Jared Kushner and a Newt Gingrich and Koch brothers and, and, and Donald Trump to pull that off. But I thought if I didn't do that, that I would be the sellout. Mm. Because when you say by any means necessary... I mean, I grew up by any means necessary. If what's necessary to free black people is for Frederick Douglass to walk into the White House and talk to Lincoln, who was no believer in black equality at all, at all, (laughs) or for Dr. King to go into the White House and talk to Lyndon Johnson, who was using the N-word in the White House every day, (laughs) that I was on relatively solid ground that the black freedom agenda sometimes requires 
odd bedfellows as long as you're actually delivering something. But others saw it very differently. How do you, as somebody who's you know very committed to the Black Freedom Agenda, very innovative, how do you think about working across these partisan lines, these ideological lines, working with people who maybe on one issue are with us, you know, 99 are against us. Yeah. Uh, what, what are your concerns about that? I mean, that's, you, you haven't really, that hasn't been a, a big feature of your work. It's been a big feature of my work. Mm-hmm. How do you see it? You know, I, I definitely was one of those people that had consternation about it, right? About mm-hmm. seeing mm-hmm. you hugging, laughing with people who I consider enemies of the people, you know, in every way and mm-hmm. every respect. What I will say is, and you know, we come from the movement, so we do a praise sandwich. So I'll start off with what I yeah. <laughs> I'll start off with, you know, I, 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 I thought that the strategy in getting the incarceration rate in the carceral system to be a priority on the federal level, and that being the almost myopic focus, and I'm not saying you're myopic, but mm-hmm. what it seemed mm-hmm. the almost myopic focus on that and making yeah. that an agenda item when you saw a a strategic opportunity and and people who are open to hearing that for their own reasons, which I'll talk about, I thought Mm -hmm. was sound. My worry and my concern is that you being who you are and, you know, I think how people have viewed you has changed over the last 20 years, you know, from from Mm -hmm. Ella Baker to Obama Green to to now where you are now, Mm -hmm. is that you validate players, personalities, political inclinations that do not deserve to be validated, right? That do not deserve really to be seen with someone like you, in my opinion, to be seen as a friend of someone like you, to be announced as a partner with someone like you or someone like us, because in many ways, whether you ask for it or not, and whether people will agree with it or not, some people do see you as a proxy for Black America. Maybe you're the most They see you often on TV. They respect you. They trust you. When you validate those people, I don't think people are nuanced enough to separate that they may be semi-good on one thing, but destructive on all others, on many others. I think also it obscures without you doing this work. And and I'll concede that I don't know that you have or haven't, right? And um, Mm -hmm. that's because of just I've been focused on the ground right now is you have a responsibility to actually be very clear about their role in getting us to where we are now. You know, so today, President Trump is signing this, whereas yesterday and many of the days before that, he demanded an increase. He demanded the Central Park Five be thrown under the jail. He was a sponsor, a supporter. You know what? This is a very, 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 very bad man that did a good thing today. Now, would he like you saying that? I don't think that that would have gotten you the pin. But I think we have a responsibility and that that's what I've taken it upon myself when people have asked me, because black men do ask me, yo, Trump did this. What did Obama do? I see them doing this. What 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 did what did the Democrats do? I'm not a Democrat and I'm not a fan of Obama either. But what I do say is some people see political opportunities and that political. And this is the last thing I'll say. I wonder, I wonder um, and now openly wonder with you whether they got more from the deal than we got. They now have Black men, Black people questioning their political allegiances, not just to Democrats, but to maybe people on the left who are seen as impotent, weak, complainers, singers, protesters, whereas these on the other side are the people who get things done, right? And and, and that story is buttressed by your partnership with them. And so I wonder whether they got more right by way of Mm -hmm. PR, by way of uh, seeming good. You know, what LBJ, quote unquote, did, won over black folks to the Southern Democrats for now 40, 50, 60, 70 years. Right. What he did, what we fought for and made him do, what our strategy Mm -hmm. pushed him to do. And so I wonder in jumping in bed with with some of these folks, whether the strategy to get this thing done is sound or not whether they're getting more from sleeping with you than you sleeping with them and whether they want less jails because they've got money invested in ankle bracelets, whether their intention for wanting, wanting to close the carceral system, I think is an important question that we have to discuss. And so that's where I stand on it, Van, is I do think it was, it was politically expedient for you 
Not for your just your personal image. I'm not I'm not throwing jabs at you on that. I think you did look good out of it, right? Because you you got some people out of jail, right? You you did something on a national level that that has consequences and repercussions for hundreds of thousands of black people. And I think they they look better. They come out looking a little bit better. They did one thing for us and maybe gonna receive, who knows, we'll see in 2024, maybe are gonna receive some some votes some allegiances and some alliances that they would not have gotten and maybe are going to receive people who lack nuance and will say they did this one thing, forget all those other sins. You know, I mean, I I understand that concern and and I've heard it before. And when I hear it, I think a few things. One is I just have a lot more confidence in black people than the people who raise that criticism. Mm, Okay. Black people are the most sophisticated political constituency in the Western world. Mm with no peer. Mm-hmm. We went from property to president in five generations. I mean, literally, you know, rich black folks vote the same as poor black folks because we understand we don't want to be in wars. We want to have social programs. We, we're a pretty politically sophisticated organization, In fact, as, as a community. In fact, we're so sophisticated that even though most black preachers will preach against um, abortion, will preach against same sex, gay and lesbian yeah. stuff, same sex, all that sort of stuff. And then we'll put all those black parishioners on buses and drive them drive to the polls to vote for the party. <laughs> exact souls to the polls to vote for the opposite policy right. we've been preaching right. because that's... So I never had much concern and still don't about the political sophistication of black folks to be able to say, you know, Trump did something good on criminal justice. He did something somewhat good on black colleges, opportunity zones. And everything else was terrible and goodbye. And that's exactly what happened. In other words, my calculation was that we can get something done. Yes. 20,000 people home from federal prison, the vast majority uh, African-American, keep the door open in red states to keep doing more of it, and still turn out a historic level of black vote to replace Trump. So I never worried about black folks in that regard. What I don't think my critics have thought about carefully enough what if we hadn't done that? What if we hadn't taken the weapon out of Trump's mouth on this issue? What if the Republicans had stayed negative on criminal justice reform? For instance, look at Republicans on immigration. Terrible. I mean, just horrible. What if criminal justice reform had become that issue? Now, look at the 2020 race. We, for the first time in my adult life, had both political parties competing with each other to say that they were for reform, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not saying they were going to build more prisons. Mm -hmm. Now, if you say Trump's not credible on that issue, well, frankly, to be honest, we are friends here. Neither is Biden. Oh, to be clear, your your audience doesn't know me. I was a Bernie guy. Yeah, exactly. I'm more left than Bernie. So, yeah, I'm that guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have to move move right (laughs) to Bernie. So, (laughs) you know, uh, temporarily. So, um, so for me, when I look at it, I say, hold on a second. We had everybody from Bernie to Biden to Trump for the first time ever all saying we're the criminal justice reform people. Mm-hmm. What that did is it protected our movement. It, it meant for the first time a Cory Booker could raise his hands and say, I want to decriminalize marijuana federally. He never was attacked for that. The movement was ne- for the first time was not the political boogeyman. And Trump winds up putting on stage at the uh, national convention, Miss Alice Johnson, a black, formerly incarcerated woman, who Democrats never put a black, formerly incarcerated woman on, on stage, who went on stage, talked about a movement, didn't endorse Trump and walked off stage. Mm-hmm. I felt like politically, for the first time, we engineered a truce so that our movement could keep growing. Mm-hmm. Had we not done that, the easiest way for Trump to run would have been the Democrats want open borders and open prisons. Mm-hmm. And so I thought to myself, there's a, a way here to get a bunch of people out, to get both parties competing to be good on our issue. And what's the cost? One black pundit goes and shakes hands with some white Republicans. Mm-hmm. I'm not Jesse Jackson. I'm not Al Sharpton. I'm not the head of the NAACP. I'm one black pundit. I would say anybody playing that chess game would make that sacrifice play. That's how I saw it. Now, that could be right or wrong, but I did not and still do not think that our community is so unsophisticated that a Van Jones shaking hands with any of these guys or laughing with these guys or doing anything with these guys 
is going to be that catastrophic for our level of consciousness. I just don't think so. I think it actually paid off practically and politically, but it hurts to have put 30 years into a movement to pass a bill that the New York Times, not Fox News, New York Times says is the most substantial breakthrough in criminal justice reform and to be received as a traitor. I think I would have been a traitor if I had not gone over there. If I, As many times I was in the Obama White House begging them to help black folks in jail, mm-hmm. if then when Trump went in there, I didn't go. Mm-hmm. To me, that's a sellout. Mm-hmm. But, but these, these kind of conversations, you know, I think don't happen enough. No, I, I, I agree. Traitor was was never a word I, I used privately or publicly. <laughs> but, right, right, right. but 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 what I what I would say is, like I said, I, I think the strategy was sound in the short term. And I don't think black mm-hmm. I think there's an I, you know, I hope you would know that I think the opposite. I think black people are incredibly, incredibly smart and that the Democrats. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm the and I. I'm in Florida. I have to register Democrats to participate in the full spectrum of the of the political process to vote in primaries, et cetera. I'm, I'm you know, I'm in this, as independent. I'd like to think as they come. True. But I think that. You know what I, I, I think, and, and maybe this is giving you even more, right, giving you some even more, some a, a little bit more of a concession, I think. With with a with a lack of a very strong black infrastructure where we see you and appreciate you as one of ours. I'm talking about you, Van, right? Where mm-hmm. where we you see you as on mission, right? On a dirty mission that nobody else wants to do. Going to mm-hmm. these conferences, right? Going to the and, and and we were we were able to inoculate people because though I know that our people are highly sophisticated, what their equation is now and I'm on the ground is Democrats ain't done nothing for us for 40, 50 years. Mm. The Republicans are doing a little bit. Why not deal with a little bit of racism? I love patriarchy mm-hmm. anyway. So, I, 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 <laughs> you know, they're protecting the man's role in the in the in the home. You know, and I'm talking about black men. You know, I, I've seen and I've had the conversations in barbershops with black men about moving towards the right. And I'm not talking about just mm-hmm. Trump. Right. I'm talking about the right. right. Xenophobia. Why we got Mexicans mm. here? Build that wall. You know, black men need to be at the front of the house, be at the front of everything. I'm not going to have no gay son. I've heard all of this stuff that are part and parcel mm. a part of the right wing agenda. And what I would hope is that you do use mm-hmm. that sophistication and you do not allow for a party to do one thing and for you to fall in, in bed with them on all other things. And so I don't think that's all on you. I do think that black people exercise an abundance of political mm-hmm. sophistication and that the Democrats have been talking a good game and haven't done any of it, right? Really any yeah. of it for us. But that doesn't mean that the other way is just the opposite. There's a third way, right? And um, I think mm-hmm. that's what we should talk yeah. about a lot more. Well, let's talk about it. You know, you have Black Men Build, mm-hmm. which is a very beautiful, I hope people will use whatever search engine you like to find black men build it is uh it, it's it's a culturally and artistically beautiful and impactful movement as well as intellectually and okay. can you just talk a little bit about about black men build because it's, it's a it's a real breath of fresh air sure in in terms of how you're approaching you know these issues sure the american political system puts us on a binary there's only a right and there's only a left and what we saw is that aversion to the left started pushing black men to the right. And what we recognize is that black men are highly intelligent, highly vocal, and want to be a highly active political constituency. We also are very wounded, myself included. I'm hurting people around me because I never handled some stuff from when I was little. I can't have good relationships, romantic or otherwise, because I don't trust people because of stuff when I was little. And so we Mm -hmm. built Black Men Build to be a place for Black men to be engaged politically, to transform ourselves and transform the communities that are we, that we are in. And so we have chapters all over the country under the recognition that there is nobody really in the political spectrum that is speaking to the concerns and issues of Black men, not at the expense of Black women at all right. or any other Black identity, right. but in a way that says, I know that you're fearful of not making enough money for your family. I know Mm -hmm. that you're fearful of not having custody of your children. I know that you spent 20 years in jail and no matter what you try to do, you can't get right, you can't get a job. I know 
right? That the only reason you was involved in that violence in the community is because you were trying to make some money for your mother. I understand those things. And, right, and that doesn't mean that you should be numb to all of the political conversations that are going on. It actually means you should be more engaged in the political conversations that are going on. And so that's what Black Men Build is. We do men's circles. So there's some stuff for your heart, right? So, so we can talk about the things that we've been through, the hurt, why we keep hurting people, why we have these views in our mind that actually wind up hurting our families and ourselves, that we have uh, reading groups where you can come and we have mass meetings where we can talk about the political questions of the day. Why you don't want to take the vaccine, bro? You know, <laughs> right, right, right. Well, let's talk about it. man. <laughs> now, I'm not trying to get you to talk to take the vaccine, but I'm just wondering why are you getting this information from this source? Why is this now a trusted right, right, source right. for you? And then lastly, we talk, we we do we do election protection and, and and electoral activities that allow us to take a sober analysis of the issues of the day and engage strategically, which I think you've done. Mm-hmm. And I think we all need to do as a collective body. And as I think you're doing with this podcast, as organizers, we have a responsibility to talk to everybody, at least give everybody the opportunity to be a human, to see their humanity and engage in conversation. And that's a big part of what Black Men Build does with our organizing. We say our organizing motto is come as you are, grow as you go. Come as you are, grow Mm. as you go. So we're not cutting people out of this movement and saying, oh, you believe this, you can't be down with us. We say, no, you're one of us. Now, let's talk about politics. Let's talk about Fanon. Let's talk about Marx. Let's talk about King. Let's talk about the women who you've been in your life. Let's talk about Bell Hooks, right? Adrian Marie Brown. And we bring that to bear. But at first, first, you're with us. No doubt about that. Mm. You're one of ours. Now, let's grow. I think people are looking for community, belonging, identity. I think it's why these conspiracy theories work so well. I think that's why you see the rise of these crazy, you know, extremist movements, especially on the right. And people would show up at a Trump rally, not because of Trump necessarily, just because it was a rally. Yep. And it was a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And it was a place where they could belong. And then they get pulled into whatever they get pulled into. Mm-hmm. And I feel like on the left, sometimes we have fallen into being the opposite, where we're more looking for heretics mm-hmm. than converts. Mm-hmm. We're more looking for people like, where do I not agree with right. you? You know, you said these 99 things I agree with. You said this one thing I didn't agree you're with. You're out. You know, it's like, it's like one strike and you're out as opposed to like, you know, one good intention and you're Mm -hmm. in. But I think it's a lesson for progressives in general, and frankly for conservatives too, is if you want to hold somebody accountable, you got to hold them first. Mm. I like that. I'm taking that one. I'm going to just let you know. Yeah. (laughs) You know, seriously, but I think people are starting to feel tired of being told by progressives that they're wrong and that they're dumb and that they're privileged or they're bigoted, they're blind. Maybe all those things are true, but am I anything other than that to you? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, do you like me? Mm-hmm. I mean, do you see anything good in mm-hmm. me? Or do I have to be conquered and converted to your worldview for me to matter? Are you a colonizer? Mm-hmm. Are you an ideological colonizer mm-hmm. <laughs> where my humanity is actually only, you know, value to the extent to which you've been able to conquer and convert me to your worldview? Mm-hmm. I think it's that serious Mm -hmm. in terms of some of the spiritual mistakes, some of the mistakes in terms of emotional intelligence that I see progressives playing out. There's a soul to what you're doing and and, and there's an emotional intelligence to what you're doing Mm -hmm. that then makes all the other smart stuff just go down like butter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that people can really learn a lot. Let me ask you one last question about your approach, though. So much of what you do does have a universal appeal to it, or at least could be universally resonant, but you insist on the the black part of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could just as easily just throw the black part out <laughs> and just be, I'm for universal stuff and I'm for, you know, inclusion. Why is it so important for, especially people who may not understand in my audience, why is it so important for someone in your position to actually center blackness in your universal agenda? There are some people, no matter what political tendency you have, Democrats know that Black people are important. Corporations, if you watch any commercial, any sports league, you're going to hear hip hop music. You're going to. Corporations understand that Black people are important. Marketers. The NCAA understands that Black people are important. The SEC knows that Black people 
are important. We can debate what important means to them. And there are radicals, revolutionaries who will tell you that Black people represent the vanguard, right? The revolutionary edge of any revolutionary movement. What I tried to do is paint a picture that no matter where you are on the spectrum, I think you understand that Black people are important. The radio, radio knows Black people are important. And so for me, I think for any of those things to happen in this country, healthcare, education, jobs, the environment, technology, food, immigration, for any of those things, for America to be successful at any of those endeavors and improving in any of those areas, Black people have to be the key constituency. I didn't say the first. I didn't say the, well, I, I will say, I think they, they should be the first. I didn't say the only. I don't want to get it misconstrued. In my universalist message, I do believe that Black people are responsible for the entirety of the wealth of the Western world. That Black people in America and in the, in the West Indies and in South America paid an incredible, incredible price that the America that we know today, the Europe that we know today, is still old. We're still old that. And whether you believe in critical race theory or whether you believe that my view of the world is slanted, slavery did occur. Black people did die. And the labor of Black people and the destruction of Native lands is the foundation on which we are all living. And so to reverse that original sin, we're not asking for $5 out of every white person's pocket. We're not asking you to apologize to every Black person you're seeing. We're asking for an acknowledgement of that. And if we're going to move forward as a country, we have to acknowledge and there has to be some recompense, right? And some resolution there. Mm -hmm. So that's why I keep the Black. It's because I am Black. It's the experience I know best. It's because Black people have borne the brunt of the brutality since this country was founded. And that Black people have always held in its heart the truest of what America claims to be a place of justice, mm -hmm. love, freedom, community, right? I think a collective vision of society is one that Black people have always had. And so that's why I keep it in there. And I mm -hmm. do believe that if Black people have freedom in this country, if Black people have justice, have love, community, housing, food, then everybody will have it because we've been the ones that lost it and didn't have it for so long. We see the beauty of hope. That spirit is so beautiful. Those who become American citizens love this country even more. And that's why the Statue of Liberty lifts her lamp to welcome them to the Golden Door. Well, you know, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> it wasn't so hard. Uh, it was actually pretty enjoyable. We were able to disagree on some stuff without being disagreeable and disrespectful and all that kind of stuff. Part of that is just Phil, just, I mean, who he is. He's got real strength. He's got real clarity. He knows who he is. He knows where he's coming from. But he also has the capacity for, for diplomacy. You know, he takes real issue with some of my strategies. I mean, we were pretty polite about it, but he does think about my willingness to work with the other side as you know, possibly ill-considered in the way that I do it. But he didn't degrade me. He didn't put me down. Uh, he listened. We engaged. We explained our views. And we tried, I think, better to understand each other. And I think that's really all we can do in a situation where people are supposed to have a lot of different opinions. It's a democracy. You get to have a lot of opinions. But we also got to be able to work together. And I was also struck by the way that Phil asked his questions, the way he did it. You know, there's really two reasons to ask a question in any kind of conversation. One is you're trying to better understand the other person, you're trying to figure out where is this person coming from in kind of an honest, constructive way. And, you know, we were trying to understand our similarities and our differences. And I think you need to be able to do that, to be a good questioner, a good interlocutor as we try to understand other folks. But I think the second kind of question, which Phil was also positing, are the questions that we ask ourselves. Where we're trying to get more clarity about who we are and what we want and what we're for and not just what we're against. Some of Phil's questions in that regard were, you know, what kind of society do we want to build and how can our justice system help us with that? That's a great question, 
We don't ask that kind of question enough. Even those of us who are involved in this work all the time, we don't ask those kind of questions. What do we want to see? What would make our communities safer? You know, questions like that are highly constructive. They get our brains going in a different way, and there's no presumptive answer uh, to them, which means we actually get a chance to create something together. And I think that sometimes we need to turn these questions inwards. You know, whatever side of these debates you're on, asking more questions about what we're up to, I think, can get us to more creative answers and also make it easier for us to find common ground with other people when we really are deeply clear about what it is that we actually want and what solutions we actually are seeking. So I want to invite you to ask your own constructive questions you know, of other people, but also of yourself and for yourself. What do you want to see happen? Uh, why is this issue, or this solution so important to you? What's the world that you're trying to create? How could things be better? I think that's an important thing for all of us to, to wrestle with. And you can also, if you want to take some more immediate action, check out the great work that Phil is doing with Black Men Build. Uh, you can find out more about that at blackmen.build. That's blackmen.build. If you are a, a black man, <laughs> you want to join the community where you can, uh, as you said, come as you are and grow as you go, you can explore some of their membership options. But regardless, if you want to support the work that Phil is doing, you can make donations directly on their website. And again, that's blackmen.build. I want to thank Philip for joining me in this conversation. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Ben Jones. This is Uncommon Ground. See you next time. Uncommon Ground with Van Jones is an Amazon original production. It's produced by Magic Labs Media and Wonder Media Network. Our producers are Teddy Alexander, Maisha Dyson, Grace Lynch, Adesua Agbanile, Sundus Hassan Noli, and Lindsay Cradlewell. Our managing producers are Lauren D and Eliza Mills. Our executive producers are Jenny Kaplan and Morgan Jones. Our theme music was composed by the Grand Mess. Publicity for this show is led by Alice Zoe, Andy Lichtenfeld, Didier Moraes, Chantel Muentes, and Sam Petherbridge. Special thanks to Jana Carter, Taylor Williamson, Seven McDonald, Drew Schwindeman, Eric Carter, Trevor McNeil, Carrie McCarran, Joe McMillan, Steph Walkneen, Vanessa Rebert, Ty Jacobson, Marshall Louie, and Chris Jackman. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Uncommon Ground with Van Jones ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Once upon a beat, remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the new kids and family podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.